When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz, at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. This is a very special episode of the Spark Parade. Uh, my guest is vocalist and musician Pete Lowry Winfield, a.k.a. Until the Ribbon Breaks, who spoke to me about his spark, Run the Jewels, fucking incredible second album, conveniently titled Run the Jewels 2. I had so much fun with Pete, and his connection to the album is very unique and totally wild. And you, my friend are going to love hearing about it. I don't want to say anything more because nobody likes spoilers. So, quick Until the Ribbon Breaks facts. Until the Ribbon Breaks is the musical project of Welsh-born, LA-based vocalist and musician Pete Lowry Winfield. Until the Ribbon Breaks started as a trio that also featured musicians James Gordon and Elliot Wall. The band's name refers to the custom of making mixtapes that will ideally be played over and over until the ribbon breaks. Winfield's first two singles, Pressure and 2025, were released in 2013. In addition to wrapping up sessions for the band's debut album, he earned global fame for remixing hit singles for The Weeknd, Sam Smith, and Lord, who eventually invited him to open her 2013 North American tour. It was during the era of Until the Ribbon Breaks' self-titled second album that Winfield began to face the fact that he had become dependent on alcohol and drugs. Despite personal turmoil, the album was a critical success. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to hold the band together. Both Gordon and Wall moved on to other projects, while Winfield set forth on a journey of sobriety and healing. But the advent of COVID and renewed creative clarity inspired a new wave of musical creation, which eventually took the form of a collection that traces Winfield's recovery, as well as his philosophical view of the world around him. The new Until the Ribbon Breaks single, Nature Mother, is out right now. Quick Run the Jewels 2 facts. Run the Jewels 2 is the second studio album by American hip-hop duo Run the Jewels, which consists of Killer Mike and LP. Released in October of 2014, Run the Jewels 2 received widespread acclaim from critics for its darker and more layered production, Killer Mike and LP's lyricism and chemistry, and its guest contributions. Several publications also ranked it as the best album of 2014. 
It debuted at number 50 on the US Billboard 200, selling 12,000 copies in its first week. And there you have it. Let's get down to business. Here comes my chat with Until the Ribbon Breaks about Run the Jewels 2. Quick disclaimer beforehand, I, you know, if there's some problem with the journalistic objectivity, I feel like I should address it to start. I fucking love this album. So I like there, you know, I can't, I won't be able to hide my own excitement and inject my own joy into this conversation. Um, but with that out of the way, the normal start for these conversations is asking you for your origin story with the whatever we're talking about and kind of, um, you know, the first time you heard an album, whatever. This is a, an unusual situation, as I understand it. So, uh, yeah, give me give me your backstory with this with this album. Yeah, I mean, there's so many reasons I wanted to choose this album. First and foremost, I just absolutely love Run the Jewels and historically LP. I discovered LP when I was just a kind of skateboarding kid in Wales, which is, seems so random now to have even found LP. But I remember it was a video I saw. God, I don't even know the year. It was a it was a video where he has like a little red plastic gun and he goes around New York. And even New York at that time to me was this mystical magic land. And I'd never heard anything like it. I was kind of, at that point, I was even kind of new to hip hop or rap, and I was just starting to get my obsession. I grew up listening to punk and in punk bands and stuff, so LP brought this kind of like lo-fi, scrappy punk element to it in the video and in the sound and the things that he was talking about. It was all this kind of like dystopian worldview, like almost like a comic book. Um, he was like a comic book character. So that set me off on my like lifelong fandom of everything LP was doing. And then like, you know, I don't know, over 10 years later, probably I ended up moving to New York. Oh, and that set me off, by the way, on like trying to figure out how to make music that even had some of those elements. Like I then saved up to buy a sampler and was like, this is pre, you couldn't just Google this stuff. So I, I would have to like do all this research to try and find out how you make even any of those sounds. So I think one of the beauties of back then is the amount of like effort you have to put in to discover something means you end up like obsessing over it even more. So I went on this whole journey between LP and DJ Shadow of like just trying to figure out how all that was made. And then my project until Ribbon Breaks ended up signing to a, an, a, a label in the States and so grabbed the, the opportunity to move there. And I had said to uh, someone at the label at the time, I, you know, one of my biggest loves is to make hip hop beats. So if you ever, if there's anything that ever comes across your radar, something I could work on. And they were looking at this artist called Mr. Mother Effing Esquire. And so I ended up doing a session with him, which was just like, this was just all, I couldn't believe any of this was happening. This is like childhood dream stuff. I'm like working with a rapper in New York, making a beat in a studio. I was like, I, I was done. I was happy forever. And then um, it turned out he had been working. He was like, oh, you should work with my friend, uh, LP. And I was like, what? Not like LP, LP. And he was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, now, yeah, yeah, now, whenever, yeah, I'm there. And um, he just sent him a message. And LP being the way he is was just like, all right. Um, so I ended up at his house. I mean, it's just like, you know, when I look back on it, I was so awkward and just, I was so, I just couldn't believe it. You know, I was in his house and British, so I was already awkward. And I, you know, I was just like, um, hello. And uh, <laughs> I was scared to show him any of my ideas and stuff. 
And we did a session and it was fine, but I just remember walking out thinking, I don't even know what, I was like blacked out and um, came back to the UK and was rehearsing for uh, the first Until Rim Breaks tour and just got this random phone call at the rehearsal studios from LP saying, I've got this project called Run the Jewels and we need a hook in 24 hours or less. Can you sing it? So I just like set up the drum mics in the rehearsal studio and write this thing and sent it to him and they used it and it ended up being on the first run the jewels record so again at that point i was like life made and then um i asked them to return the favor they ended up on the until ribbon breaks record which mind blow and then um then that brings us to the second run the jewels album which again it was so random he texts me out the blue and said don't you have a studio in la and i was like yeah there's a kind of little studio in my backyard kind of thing he was like, oh, we're looking for somewhere last minute. We couldn't come and record there. And I was like, absolutely, you can't. And it turned out to be the second run, the Jules album, or a large portion of the second run, the Jules album. And in a way, it was even more mind-blowing because I just got to be an actual fly on the wall. Like, there was none of the pressure of... Um, I, I knew they weren't asking me to do anything other than give them the space. So there's this wild period of time where I would just kind of sit in my garden and could hear this music because I didn't want to like be annoying and try and be in the room. So I would sit in the garden and listen to what they were doing and pretend to but pretend I was busy. Um and especially when it came to some of the features, that's when it got really weird. But I don't, you know, I don't want to like that. So that that's how the, it came to be kind of like crazy. Like um like, oh. And I guess, you know, having, having the experience of being around those artists is one thing. Having them in your home is another thing. And then I guess at the time, you know, the first Run the Jewels album, the um, mixtape, was very well received. Everyone loved it. Everyone thought that, you know, hoped that they were going to carry on doing what they were doing. But it's the second album, you know, it was the first like album with the label. And I can imagine that they were feeling some kind of pressure to match or surpass what they'd done before. So kind of knowing that they're cooking up something and it's, you know, the follow-up to this amazing album and then being on the other side of that and being like, oh shit, that's what it was. And like, it's this, you know, era defining, mind blowing, just like next level shit. Exactly. I could, I, yeah, exactly. It was never, there's never been a moment during it since where if I, I was really, really, Excited when I got um, a note about doing this podcast because I've never, there's not, it's not like that's ever come up. And it kind of made me think about it and think how wild it really, like, wow, wow, looking back on it was so amazing because also during that time I was going through, I was trying to get sober and all these things. So the whole period is this strange, like, fever dream. That element of it was obviously, goes without saying, such a positive and wild experience. Yeah. And, you know, I can only imagine when you have other stuff that you're dealing with personally, being like, I was going to say on the periphery, but being at the epicenter of this project that's going to affect millions of people's lives, but having like your own shit going on. So it's like, it's, it's this thing that's happening to you that is a part of what's going on in your world, but it's not like, yeah, yeah. Just kind of hard to like balance all of that stuff out. Exactly. I mean, I'm, Strangely thankful that there was none of the pressure of being involved. I don't think I was in a place where I could have dealt with that 
pressure of that because it never, you know, for me, it's not like I, especially with someone like LP who was so formulative in uh, the trajectory of everything I've ever done musically or attempted to do is it's not like, and I've told him this, it doesn't become blasé to me. It's not like, oh, LP's here in the morning, uh, whatever. Like every day, it's, uh, especially when he's there making music because you're just seeing, and his process is so interesting. He's so um, in the moment. He's almost like a jazz musician in his in his production. There's a lot of um, sequencing and stuff happening. It's not so much like drag, drop, or move stuff around. It's happening. He's like in the sound. And I think that's why it, you get all these interesting elements that are unexpected. But he, he just also has that thing, which is, I just don't know, where he, the drums hit so hard, and I still don't know how he achieves that just feels like it, it's exciting and overwhelming in, in equal measure yeah completely i mean i can tell you you know there's like anecdotal stuff obviously which it was such a like uh cycle of mind-blowing things because pre-discovering lp my thing like i said was like punk bands and stuff like that and one of my favorite bands growing up the the literal records or record I used to use to be like, I don't want to go to school today. It was, you know, killing in the name of Rage Against the Machine. That was like my, no, like literally, I'm not going to do what you tell me record, you know, to my parents or my mum. And um, the doorbell, I remember the doorbell when the studio was in the back. So I was happy to be there. I was like the tea boy for two weeks. I was happy to like open the door and do all that. And I couldn't have been happier, but it was Zach de la Rocha. And no one had told me, because why would they have, you know? And the door opened, and it was just this moment where just at the front door is actor Rocha, who was just so incredibly polite. And I think he, he said, uh, you wouldn't have a cup of tea, would you? It's the most British thing you'll ever say as well. And I was like, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And then that definitely was the day where I had my ear up at the door. And because he, obviously that, you know, his voice cuts so much. It has that, like, shrill thing which can cut through the size of their rage's music you know and so you could really clearly hear that coming through the wall that was i mean that's a seminal moment just in my life yeah you know meeting meeting your heroes generally is an intense and exciting experience but like having somebody kind of i mean literally knocking on your door especially unexpectedly that's uh pre pretty unique yeah and i don't know how to deal like I don't know how to deal with that. I, just, I wasn't going to kind of pretend to be, I was just, you know, forever a fan. And I, I'm, you know, and I think that's the way it should be. And, and Killer Mike is just, I mean, Southern charm, you know, he is the epitome of just the, the nicest, sweetest, funniest. So having him around every day and he's, he's, it, I would, you know, I would get to hear them have just the same arguments that any band have. And just like that level of being inside the thing is so, so fun. What a bizarre, bizarre experience. And like I said, having these things happen in your house and then having the end result be something that affects you like from an artistic standpoint as well and being able to like try, try to re reconcile those two things that it's like this amazing piece of art is out in the world and everyone loves it but it also happened in my backyard. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's, it's the opposite of that 
thing where, you know, if someone, friends, family, whatever is like, oh, I'm making music or something. And because you're a musician, they're like, will you tell them what you think? And you're like, oh no, this could be, it's the opposite of that because then you're close to it. And then like you said, it comes out and it's like your favorite record anyway, you know, Mm -hmm. and would have been had I not heard it. And it's, I really didn't do that go in at the end and be like, can I hear it? Because I know if it was me, that's the last thing you want. I think there was so much hype and excitement around that record that I didn't want to, um, I just know what it would be like to have someone saying, can I hear what you did? It was just as exciting for me to hear how it came out. Cause all I was hearing was like, <laughs> through the wall. <laughs> so I couldn't have even told you what I thought. I mean, you know, I would able to say it's very heavy they didn't dial it back that's for sure right and then i mean i guess in addition to the incredible life-changing experience of being around when it was created do, do you feel like the music itself had an impact on you whether just as a fan or as a musician yourself yeah yeah tr- i mean truly lp is like a um i've always in terms of production very specifically drums and bass, I would say, is he is like a moving target for me in the sense that I've always I've I've seen him do it and I still don't understand how he makes drums hit as hard as they do, but not take over a mix. And that album is like the absolute for me, straight up version of that. Is that it's so heavy, but really musical. There's like he would hate me saying this, but there's almost a Oh, I don't want to use the word pop, but just in terms of the mixing, if you th- if you think about the elements, you know, he's using a lot of 808 bass and then really punchy drums and then kind of aggression of something like a Killer Mike or a Zach De La Rocha on top of it. But you don't get kind of overloaded with all that sound in the sense that, okay, that's just all the sum of the parts as loud and as upfront as they can be, which wouldn't be an enjoyable experience. He somehow manages to balance that within a structure or a mix that feels like you can engage with it. It's incredibly difficult to do. I don't know how he does it. So in terms of that influences, uh, you know, when I came to do the Until the Ribbon Breaks um, song that I wanted them to feature on, I was trying to make it as hard as I could, but it's just not in my, I don't have that New York, you know, I have to, I have to get there. Whereas you feel like in LP's work, it's just that's what, and you see him do it and it's so natural. Mm. So yeah, I mean, forever, like I said, he's a moving target. I will forever be trying to make a kick and a snedge on it as hard as he does it. And I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that, you know, I have very vivid memories of hearing this album for the first time and just every song being like, ooh. Oh, shit, yeah. fuck. Like the second the beat drops, just like, whoa. And every song has that same feeling, but in a different way. And to me, his production, there's like this synesthesia going on, you know, like it's like beats you can eat. Like there's something kind of mm. like, I can feel like I can chew them. Like there's something really yeah. like uh, meaty. Totally. And I, 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 like you said, getting that feeling of just absolute dominance, but not with the rhymes. It's like the the focus is still on this incredible lyrical dexterity that both of them have and the way they play off each other and what they're talking about is so complex and 
funny and serious and like everything. And you have this balance between the the beats and the rhymes is just like exactly right. Totally. Uh, and it's, I think I would put LP where I'd have no problem putting LP there in the sense of, you know, the word producer gets handed out a lot. And I think it gets conflated sometimes with like a, a beat maker or a track guy. Because t- to me, a producer in the old school sense, almost the most delicate skill is the curation. You think about a Kanye or a Pharrell or something or a Rick Rubin where it's like, okay, they understand a sample and a beat and a bass and like the elements. Uh, like even in terms of A and Ring in the sense that like if you think about LPs, you know, I'm accrediting all of this to him. I know like Killer Mike, I could talk forever about his part in Run the Jewels too, but just in terms of LP's ability to make a Zach De La Rocha fit next to a big boy or something, and, and it feels so seamless. So his curation, I would just put up there. With, and he's been doing that forever, whether it was um, when he had company flow and like when he had a label. I think as a curator, he's, he's amazing. Time for a quick break, because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. But we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And that comparison that you're making, I mean, especially to someone like as fucking crazy as he is now, I don't want to shit on Kanye's abilities as a producer. He's produced some amazing stuff, but there is that reliance on other people's work, like sampling yeah. instead of creating. And the difference for me is all of this stuff that uh, like the, the foundation to me of LP's production, it's like a third member of the band. It's like his rhymes... When he's rapping, it's one person and the production is another person and it's an equal share of what's going on. Totally. I think uh, he, what I love about LP is uh, in his like rap character, it's like he steps into it. You know, like you said, it, it doesn't feel like the producer then just grabs the mic and does a bit. Right. You know, I'd love to hear LP. I'm sure. Actually, this is something I'm going to research. I, I'm not sure I've heard LP rap on someone else's, I guess, apart from it till a ribbon break, rap on um, someone else's beat before because he's like, why would he? He's going to make a better beat. I don't, <laughs> you know, but it's the combination of his beats and his raps, like, a, a, you know, the totality of it. And then just the a and I don't, who's, I, I don't know whose idea it was, um, but that those two would, I know that LP, 
produced the Killer Mike album that preceded the first Run the Jewels record. And I think their chemistry, because their chemistry's it, whether it's in real life on stage, you can see it, you can feel it. I think that's one of the great appeals of Run the Jewels. It, it, it's like a cartoon, uh, like supervillain duo, you know, and, mm-hmm. and they knew that. That's why you get all this amazing artwork, which had that comic book style, you know, it's this like cartoon villain duo, which I love. But that's just genius, a genius combination, because in no other way, you can't imagine it, you know? Yeah, and I like that foundation of just somebody to work on killer mike's album they're going to try this partnership and see how it works and from everything i've read from interviews i've read with them it was like the second they got in the studio and did one song it was like oh this is it for life like we both know that we belong together and the more they work together and the more it was like this you know two two halves of a whole feeling it's such a, a special and like kind of wild thing. I was thinking about this a lot that like the older you get, the harder it is to make new friends, you know, Mm -hmm. and people in their mid thirties who have established careers, they in their own lanes were doing well, were not superstars, but were, you know, well-known, well-respected and finding each other and not only being like, we get along professionally, we should work together, but they call each other brother. Like they feel like family. And it's this, in, like, you know, they were, it was like a matchmaking thing. Like somebody introduced them, I can't, somebody from Comedy Central or something. I should have uh, written this down, but I, I did read about this. I don't know. But that, you know, you go to work regardless of what industry you're in and you don't expect to forge a relationship that is that meaningful and long-lasting and creates the biggest success you've ever had in your career. Totally. I mean, can you imagine how exciting? You know, it's like definitely as a musician, you you have these periods where you feel, especially when you've achieved the amount that they both had, but always, like you said, being on, it seems ridiculous to say because anyone would take their careers pre-run the jewels, you know, 90% of musicians, but but the level of talent they must, you know, it, like Killer Mike for sure was always on the periphery of like best rapper conversations. It, it was more like, a, but have you heard Killer Mike? And it was like, he was like one of those rappers where you you knew he was he was top five or whatever, but like you'd have to b- push him into the conversation. And then same as LP on the production. And I don't know if they were, they, they even think in that way or not, but, and it doesn't matter. But to have this like, massive second win that actually in a commercial standpoint, definitely live standpoint, went beyond the stuff they'd already achieved. Must have been an amazing experience. And they just worked so hard because maybe I think they were like, what a gift, you know? And, you know, there was a moment where the Run the Jewels, they had sent their verses from separate places for the Until the Rim Breaks feature. And I'll never forget, um, the, it was it's kind of a, it was kind of a concept song called Revolution Indifference, and it it has like a kind of concept to it. And I told LP and sent his thing, and it was on it. And then I got Killer Mugs, and I think he'd he'd recorded it or something before. And I had to call him, and I said to LP because I was closer to LP, and it said, "I just don't know what to do. Like I, it's just not meshing." It was amazing. Don't be wrong, but it wasn't. It just wasn't flowing. 
And I was like, I just don't know what I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to like what do I do here? Like, is he gonna be okay if I call him and say, uh, can we try another verse or something? And I was just pacing, pacing. He was like, You just have to ask him. I can't like you should ask him, but you just have to ask him. So I, he gave me his his <laughs> I remember I called Killer Mike. And he was so gracious and cool about it. And he was just like, yeah, man, that's fine. I'll do it. And then he sent it and it's absolutely amazing. But it has um, the, the lie, cheat, still kill line in it, which ended up being, or is also a hook. And I think the name of a song on the second run, the Jules album. So that's another thing that was like trivia wise, really exciting for me. Mm, yeah. You know, they have reputations. Both of them have reputations for being, you know, two of the nicest people in hip hop. Oh, unbelievable. That feeling, I mean, you know, sure, imposter syndrome, I think everybody gets that sometimes, but fucking take the win, buddy. You, you know, you're, you're part yeah. of it. You're part of it. And um, having that feeling, like being able to say, Killer Mike, I would like you to do that a different way. And having him respond and just be like, yes. I know. You know, we work together. This is, you know, whatever we're working on, it's a partnership. And having the ability to just say, no matter who I am and how successful I get, I have to be able to respond to other people's cues and and learn what works for each specific project and in each specific moment. So again, magic. Totally. Totally. And and to what you're saying, you're you're right. But it's like um it's funny, being in the studio is is one of the areas in my life where I feel confident. Like like I know what I'm doing. I don't have to second guess it. But I'm kind of glad in a way that, that to a degree that goes away when I'm working with an idol or a hero or something, because I, I don't think I'd ever want to be in a position where I didn't feel a bit nervous or or like that slight imposter syndrome around someone who whose music I really look up to, because then that suggests to me that you like that. I, I think it's good to have a, a horizon like that, you know, that there's always a, a something to attain or or because otherwise you just get into that. That's when I think your music starts suffering. If you just think, well, I've arrived. <laughs> you can hear it. You can hear it. You know, I hope that LP would feel like that if he. I don't know who his production hero is, but I imagine he must have one. And I hope, and from knowing him, I assume he'd be the same. He's so humble and, and cool that I just imagine he'd be like, it's Rick Rubin. They'd be like, sorry, Rick, is it? I'd probably like put my sampler down. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There is a balance. You don't want to like get invited to do a Beyonce feature and come into the studio and go, listen, we are peers. <laughs> I got this. Yeah. <laughs> I have notes. Totally. <laughs> Totally. But like you said, it was also very much a lesson in that, um, of course, he was so cool about it. Everyone's just a person for the most part. You know, you build up these ideas of people and because people are piling those ideas onto them, but out of their control, you know, who and who Killer Mike is and what he must be like is for the most part built up around him, regardless of him. Right. So of course, the reality is he's just a Super sweet dude. Mm. The the back and forth between that that was the other thing as well is for me what I've always loved about Run the Jewels and especially why live it's so exciting is that they don't shy away from the I do a line you do a line I do a line like that kind of old school hip hop thing. Mm -hmm. uh, regardless of what they're talking about, it's old school and it's like partiness. 
you know, it feels more collaborative than LP has the first verse, you get the hook, Killer Mike has the second. I love that they do the switch off because then live, they're having this whole relationship. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. But having, you know, the, there is a lot of conjecture online as well about them being like the bridge between the old school and the new school. And I think that's like on the road to being the right idea, but it's a little bit reductive. It's like they are both of those things and more, and they're including all these influences. And both of them have been around for a long time. So of course they have an old school influence because they were part of it. But just I guess the stuff from the old school that resonates the most, like you said, it's like, you know, being able to bounce off of each other. But also, like I was saying before, lyrical dexterity, complexity. And sometimes this is because I'm an old man and I am, you know, shouting at the sun for being too hot and, you know, saying back in my day that I feel like this is not a blanket statement, but that a lot of hip hop that gets into the charts is a little simple-minded. Sometimes the production is a little basic. There's a lot of reliance on autotune, those kinds of things, with lots of notable exceptions. But this stuff kind of harkens back to my favorite hip-hop. But the production, the stuff they're talking about, it's all so fresh and so contemporary and so forward-thinking. Yeah, nobody sounds like that. Yeah, agreed. I think an LP, I think that's what really struck me um because when i heard lp i was it was like i said it was right when i was discovering wu-tang like it was all all from the east coast and it really stuck out because even then he was um using analog synths and stuff it wasn't so sample heavy so we all it already felt timeless in the sense that it's not to any time. So I agree with you. It's it's slightly reductive to be old school or new school because it's just it regardless. It's hard to pin down when you listen to LP what his influences are, I think. I, I, I'd be hard pushed to say because yeah, I, I don't know I don't know enough. Sometimes I think there's a there's almost like that kind of early Miami sound of there. Like it like the the beats are very spare. It's very reliant on a bass and a drum. And then almost like he uses a lot of stabs. Like or even like an old school orchestra stab. Like in that very old school way. But somehow doesn't sound like it's referencing that. And yeah, and I, I do think that a lot of that is because his production is to some degree performative. Like he's he's sequencing drug. It's all happening in real time, and he's recording it rather than uh, planning it. Mm-hmm. So I think you get those like where he's surprised at what's happening, and also a massive thing is he's so collaborative, even with musicians. He's always been like, "Oh, do you want to come play percussion or a bass or a guitar?" And doesn't he? Do, he he gives absolute. I can confidently say that I doubt he gives any fucks about a genre, a genre restraint like. You shouldn't use X because it's not normally what. I don't think he cares about that. So you'll hear this this myriad of sounds that are unexpected. And back to him being a creator, never doesn't sound like him. And then you add Killer Mike on top of that. Like the, I, I am, I'd love to have been a fly in the wall when because LP's a hip hop nerd too. You know, we all are. And it's like to the him hearing Killer Mike on his beat for the first time must have just been amazing for LP. Yeah. And I mean, the, the in in all of what you just said, the thing that sticks out to me is this feeling of musicians who are open-hearted, want to make the best music that they can, and 
are open to all sorts of ideas, open to collaborating with all sorts of different people, but also want to work with people who push them to be their best. And, you know, it's not just outside people who talk about LP and Killer Mike being on the list of, of best rappers of all times. They talk about it when they're talking about each other and having people who you work yeah. with, who you <laughs> yeah. admire. Yes. And that's so refreshing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I, I really remember being struck by that when you would hear them talking in interviews and it never felt, you know, when you watch like a promo for a movie and it's the director and the actor and it's so boring when they just are like, uh, so what's the word, uh, aggrandizing about each other is so like, okay, this feels like rote, like you, this, you, this is what you say. Right. It never felt like that. It always felt like they were genuinely like killer. Mike was like, I can't believe I found my producer. Mm. And vice versa. And then on top of that, you have two people who very clearly love each other. I mean, when they do interviews and they talk about each other, I read this interview where Killer Mike said he wants his son to grow up to be a man like LP. And the person who's writing it just like says LP just kind of like looks down and just, you know, it feels like he's just overwhelmed with emotion and that kind of relationship where they're like uh, collaborators, they are so in sync with each other, but they're kind of each other's hero as well. It's just like, ah, exactly, exactly. And what, and so therefore, it's like an audience. What is not to love about that? I just like I defy anyone. That reminds me. I do want to. The funniest thing to me about the whole thing happening, and this this was one of, is one of the more positive, ridiculous stories about that period of my life. Is that um, LP asked months after they'd finished it? I got a message from him saying we need to have a name in the credits for the studio. Does the studio have a name? And uh, it didn't have a name. You know, I don't. I traditionally don't name my studio. It's always been in like my front room or the shed or something. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> we were laughing. We were probably drunk and uh, decided it would be really funny to call it comic. Sans, as in the worst one ever, but with a D, so it sounded more like a beach resort. And we we thought it was such a funny idea in the moment that we both sent it to him. And then I got the record on vinyl, so excited, looked through the liner notes, and there it is, recorded Comic Sans. And like that, of all the things, so ridiculous, and I love it. And he didn't even question it. He probably got asked by his manager to like deliver the boring stuff, you know, Got the message, forwarded, and now it's just recorded at Comic Sans with a D. Absolutely incredible. The font that we all know is used for like kids. Yeah, that's my favorite. I like to think if I went back in time, I'd do it again. I'm a bit more sensible now, so I'd probably try and put something like cool, but I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, that that is cool. That is cool. I, I, uh, I, you know, I will not denigrate that. <laughs> um, I think. That is that is the button. That is the perfect note to finish on. My God, I have done a lot of this show. I have been doing this for a long time. This is definitely unique. This is one of the most incredible conversations. Like I've never had somebody have this much involvement in this, be this close to what we're talking about. So this has been really spectacular for me. In such a, in, especially considering I was nothing to do with the music, you know, 
yeah, no, trust me. It's just, I, like I said to you, I was really happy to be asked to do this because um, where else would this, I'd have the opportunity to tell this story. And it just, it made me look back so fondly on a time that otherwise there was, you know, going through some stuff. So it really brings a smile to my face that that absurdity all happened. You can't make it up. So I just, I really appreciate it. And this has been super fun. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Pleasure. Pretty fucking spectacular, right? Thanks so much to Pete for chatting with me and for giving this podcast that exciting exclusive story. The new Until the Ribbon Break single, Nature Mother, is out now, and you should listen to it, please, and thank you. Okay, quick spark of the week from me. It's spooky season, they tell me. So I feel like I need to give a spooky suggestion. But because it's me, it's also going to be weird. Uh, I saw Infinity Pool when it came out uh, last year, I think that was. And I just rewatched it, and I can exclusively reveal that I liked it the second time. Um, it's directed by Brandon Nepo Baby Cronenberg. Um, I shouldn't actually be snarky because I do really like his work, but he is also David Cronenberg's son. Uh, anyway, it stars Alexander Skarsgård, who also is a Nepo Baby, and Mia Goth, and I'm not sure. Maybe she is too. Uh, anyway, it stars Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth. And it's creepy and it's weird and it's stylish and amazing. I don't want to give you anything more specific than that because, as I've already mentioned, we're not doing any spoilers in this episode. And you know what? I think the trailer for Infinity Pool was kind of misleading, so you should ignore that too. Um, but yeah, if you like kind of Kafka... David Lynchy vibes to get you into the Halloween spirit, check it out. And that's about it this week. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade and then just, I don't know, buy yourself some snacks and a warm blanket and hunker down inside. It is getting kind of cold out there. At least it is here. And until next time, bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.